Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Cats at night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Well, it's 5 o'clock, the number one show at uh, 5 o'clock, Cats at night. John Katsimatidis here, and uh, nobody can get to work. <laughs> Downtown streets are... are uh, uh, go home, Joe Biden. No, oh my God! Sorry. I wish to look, go I home. respect the President of the United States, but maybe you should go home. We've been here for three days already. Oh my uh, God! In the studio, we have Richard uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, myself, John Katzmatidis, and Lydia Serrani. And uh, where's uh, Governor Patterson? I have no idea. Nobody where can Patterson. get down here. Nobody maybe. can get anywhere when the UN is in town. Well, Midtown he- is a mess. Midtown is a How mess. How long did it take us last night? We are night? prisoners of Midtown. That's right. Uh, me and the judge uh, left here at on 50th Street at uh, at uh, six o'clock. It took us an hour to get to 64th Street. Jesus Christ. And so the other problem that we're also going to be seeing is how is congestion pricing going to help any of this? It's just going to fleece us even more. And now you even have Mayor Adams. He's also been hinting at it that he's not too happy with this. He thinks that Albany kind of shoved this down everybody's throat. Of course, his team tried to kind of walk it back. Judge Weinberg, you are a judge of all judges. New York City. I mean, this is not a good idea. This is my town. I love this town. I serve and protect this town. I am telling you, if you want to destroy New York, there's a checklist that they're following. One is you have no public safety. Two, you have overtaxation, overregulation. And the latest nail in the coffin is congestion pricing. It's proposed to be for environmental protection, but things can be backed up. You can have more pollution, not less, because it can be backed up over 60th Street. All of the Bronx the people Expressway. In the, Bronx, the, the, people, the, the Expressway, the Cross Bronx Expressway in the Bronx, is that it stands still right now. Right. I was on I was on over the weekend. I was on over the weekend, John. It doesn't move. Congressman Richie Torres, he's outraged by it. You got Rockland County residents, New Jersey Governor Murphy, Mayor Adams, if you are listening, you have our support. You don't have to allow Albany to tell you what to do with your city. On the line with us right now is political analyst Hank Schenkoff. Hank Schenkoff, what do you think about this? I mean, I think Mayor Adams, he seems to me like a really kind of common sense guy. He wants to get things done in New York City, but Albany just does not want to cooperate. Hi. First of all, good evening and good afternoon, everybody. Sorry, we're outraged. Albany is not going to do very much for him. It's not in their interest, and there's no pressure points. I mean, um, you know, that's the problem with having two houses in the, in the state legislature, both of which are controlled by one party. There's no, there are no real, uh, there are, and with majorities, there are no real uh, competitive elections that are of consequence. There are no, um, I mean, there's, you know, where's the pressure point? We got a mess. Go we got a mess in our city, in our state. Uh, and I understand uh, Mayor Adams now wants to put up tents for, for the migrants, uh, for all the migrants, or cruise ships. Well, that's that's pretty. That's a little bit out there and unusual. That that but should make us a third world country, Hank. They're going to be well, in Central listen, Park, Prospect Park. 
Look, every city in the country has homeless problems. I was in Houston this past week. You have homeless problems. They're not as intense as ours because they're not as concentrated as ours. And uh, But New York is unique and different. So what's the solution? Nobody knows. We pay for housing. Uh, Bill de Blasio certainly took care of his uh, political friends. Uh, those who had donated him, certainly that was his style. By giving them contracts to house homeless people, we refused to, to tell the truth to ourselves, which is take Rikers Island, turn part of it into a, which is what, frankly, the, a lot of the correctional facilities become, which is, a, which is a hospital for people with emotional problems, turn that into a facility that can do that and start to deal with the homeless issues and other issues we face. If not, this is just going to go on because no politician wants to tell the truth and nobody wants to stand up. So as long as you, that's not fair, most 99 percent of them. You're absolutely. You'll have this. You'll have this mess. Hank, you tell the truth. absolutely right about Rikers Island. Rikers Island is an asset that could be used effectively for public safety to house the homeless, get medical care for the mentally ill, drug treatment. You have all the facilities in one place. You have vertical integration there. And it's a safe place where you can keep them in an isolated way so they're not in the general population. You would have integration of, of all the things that are required. And instead of having correction officers resigning every day and having them blamed for a system that the previous mayor allowed to fester and for, for a failure to invest in capital, uh, in capital improvements and for the ridiculousness of the Lippman report. This guy should – I mean, what he did was absolutely incredibly wrong because he took, no, he took no real understanding of what occurred. You want to blame somebody for the problem? He just tossed the wrong direction. We told. Regardless. Listen, I know. I know Judge Lipman forever. He he's a friend. I know him for decades and decades. He we had a debate on this show, Hank, and I told him he was wrong, and I told him why he was wrong. But he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't back off. It was a utopian dream, and putting it in communities, local communities, is not a solution. Well, it's more of a problem. And you know they want to house like fifteen hundred um, in like people that just came out of Rikers, right there in the Bronx, too, by Jacoby hospital which is a very nice area i mean now they want to put local jails everywhere what are they doing to our city hank shankoff you have to ask when the jail gets put on 79th street and fifth avenue maybe then people would respond but these jails are going to be put back in the neighborhoods that are trying to get past everything else they're going to have lines of people going in and out they're going to be more difficult for the for the for the children for the mothers, the fathers, the and the and the, uh, the sisters and the wives of individuals and husbands to get to the facilities, it's going to be worse. Um, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just does not make sense. What we're doing is we're taking a system that was imperfect and we're making it into a disaster. And you know, then I'm sorry. I'm, and you know, and and the crime is not. It would be one thing if crime were being reduced, and if it would be one thing if these were functional answers to long-term problems. But crime is up, and these are not resolving anything. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And you're going to need facilities to hold these people and detain them to protect the public. Well, don't worry. Governor Kathy Hochul, she has a solution to the subway crime. She just announced a new initiative. They're going to put cameras on each and every subway car. So then if somebody hits you with a bag of poop in your face, they'll be able to trace him and then give him a desk disappearance ticket the next day. He'll just get out. So, I mean, Hank Schenkoff, this is a waste of money. Remember these tragic words, okay? The amount of pe- the number of people that are not going to be returned and are not going to return on their own to court in the under the present bail reform system where people are being released. They're not being detained. They're not being kept overnight, you know, for sure. For sure. They're well, whatever reason. They're not being detained in the city's city's uh, correctional system, which really is a misnomer. It's really a, it's really a transportation and get to court system. But those people that are not there, their bench warrants will ultimately be issued. 
And someday, two years down the road, when there's 150,000 bench warrants issued, the same people keep popping up. You can rest assured, as we're on this call, that a U.S. Mar- deputy U.S. marshal, potentially two or three New York City detectives, and someone from another agency will go through that door and a tragedy will occur. Because this, the politicians don't understand. I have never seen a politician go through a door to find somebody. I've seen firefighters and cops do it, but I've never seen a politician do it. And there is the difference. No, well, you're right. The warrant squad, people do not understand what dangerous work it is when you're on the warrant squad. People on the inside understand it, but the outside, you're absolutely correct. The warrant squad is a dangerous assignment. You've, you've, you've destroyed the system by, by, turning, by turning the probation department into an empty house. We used to have 1,500 New York City probation officers. We're now down to under 700. They're largely black women who are not, and women of color who are not being paid appropriately. Who's gonna, if, you, if you're getting them off the rock, off Rikers, who's going to supervise people if there's no one there? This, is all, this whole thing is being set up for disaster, and the public's going to pay the price, and we as New Yorkers will pay it. Why? People will leave. You heard the latest number, Hank. In this, uh, in this calendar year, already have 42,000 people who've uh, moved since, to Florida. And since COVID actually started, what was that, 2020, it's been almost a half a million. So this mass exodus that they initially blamed on COVID continues because, like you're talking about, the climate of lawlessness. We're seeing well, this incre- incredible taxation. I mean, we, we're just not going to take it anymore. Well, on this show, I said to this group some months back, uh, with some and I, people thought I was out of my mind. I said some months back, it may have been close to the beginning of the year this year. I said that the New York City was going to head into a significant budget crisis yep. that would be largely unresolvable because in the present political setup, and that the politicians would somehow believe they could cure it because we're going to get close to this point by doing all kinds of tricks which are not no longer permitted under law, and we're going there. And in the meantime, they can't seem to understand that there's a relationship between the crisis we're going to go through and the fact that we are taxing people and we're, 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 we're scaring them out of our city. These two things go hand in hand. And I'm curious to see what the leadership does with what we're walking into. We haven't had anything close to this in 75. You know, it's just, it is, and now you know, people are talking about they have a surplus. It's crazy. There is no surplus. There is no, people are leaving. The tax base is eroding. Jobs are, jobs are not being replaced in the way that they once were. The hotel industry is not doing the numbers it once did. I mean, we, we are in a, a kind of permanent walk back from where we were five years ago. How do you cure it? I'm not sure. But what is going on now in public policy as it relates to crime is not curing it at all. And then, of course, they do something wonderful. The 25,000 jobs, Amazon jobs, high paying six figure jobs. And they blow that out in the name of progressivism. Well, you know, the. the and look, as someone who stood on the street for a lot of years, working behind counters and restaurants and around the clock and different and civil service jobs, um, I can tell you that if you haven't done those things, you don't understand how average people feel. You really shouldn't talk about average people. The fact that AOC went to a school that I could dream about um, and get the kind of education that I can from that place that I could only have dreamed about. Well, I dropped out of high school. I went back without free university. I would never go to school. It was out of the question. So I listen to these people who have had every advantage I didn't have. Tell me how we should all live. And I wonder what planet they're on. Fascinating. Well, it is fascinating. Hank Shankoff, thank you for uh, letting us uh, let out our anxieties about uh, what, what's going on in New York right now. We love New York, and we're going to bring New York back. Uh, by, uh, by anything we can do, we're going to bring New York back. Thank you so much. 
All the best. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And uh, on the line, who do we have now? We have General Keene. The General Jack Keene is a retired American four-star general, former vice chief of staff to the of the United States Army and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. He's just an all-around brilliant man. Welcome back to Cats at Night, General Jack Keene. General, oh, yeah, delighted to be here. General Keene, uh, the threats with Putin. What say you about that? About he, he, if we screw around him with him, and he wants to nuke us, he says. Yep. Yeah, I think it's pretty remote, John, and I, I think it's a low probability. I don't think we dismiss it, but you got to put it in the context of what he's really doing here. Um, you know, he's he's losing this war. It doesn't mean he ultimately we lose it, but he is on the way to to doing that, and I think. Uh, what he really is trying to cut off because the support that we have provided to the Ukrainians, the intelligence, which has been exquisite, uh, that our intelligence services has provided them, the advanced weapon systems we've given them, most notably the HIMARS, and other systems have been very decisive in helping the Ukrainians succeed in this last counteroffensive, which has so much, so rocked Putin and all of his thugs. Uh, so he's fear-mongering here. I mean, he, he's waving this in front of us because he wants us to wring our hands about it. Oh, you know, we're on the verge of nuclear war, and he wants the Europeans to, to stop providing the support. He wants the, the Biden administration to back down. That's what the intent here is. I, I refer to it as, uh, as fear-mongering. And, and what we got to do here a little bit is see it for what it is, have a little spine ourselves and stand up to it and let him know full out. I mean, if I was Biden, John, I, I would uh, call him. He probably doesn't want to talk to the president, but I'd send him a letter and I'd tell him straight out. I said, uh, the idea that you would use a nuclear weapon in Europe uh, because you're trying to prevent uh, the loss of a war will guarantee you losing the war. Because the United States and NATO will come at you with everything we have in terms of air power and missiles. And we will destroy your army and all your supply lines inside of Ukraine. You will have no chance to survive that war inside of Ukraine. And make him know that that is what is facing him. I think he already knows that, frankly. I think his military guys know that. They know that if they set off a tackling nuclear weapon inside of Ukraine, that by definition is an expansion of the war. And he pulls in the United States and NATO. He wants no part of that. Look at John. He can't handle the Ukraine military, you know, much less what we would do. We wouldn't put thousands of troops on the ground in Ukraine. No way. We don't need to do that. We would use air power and we would have air supremacy for the first time. And we would destroy everything that he values inside of Ukraine. General that is where we are. I want to ask you, it's Judge Richard Weinberg, so I want to ask you this question. I've been reading articles where there's being a push for negotiation now for for ceasefire now. What are your thoughts about that? Why why is that push coming from uh, some Western sources and even from from Russia? And is it a good idea? Well, from a Russian standpoint, it's a great idea, and the re the reason is is because that shuts down Zelensky's successful counteroffensive. 
And we forecasted that the Russians would likely want to do something like this if Zelensky's military was successful. And then that would that would enable. So we'd have the ceasefire. The Ukrainians would abide by it. The Russians would reposition their forces and be able to regroup their forces, you know, bring in these uh, mobilized reserves, which is going to take months to get them into the battle. It would shut everything down, likely for the winter time, so that Putin could resume uh, and get his capabilities back up uh, for the for the spring offensive. So that plays into his hands. And look, let's be frank about this: the Germans and the French have wanted a ceasefire. And, and a peace agreement from the beginning, and they're willing to give up Ukrainian territory to do it. They just want this thing over. The Eastern Europeans, the Brits, and the United States uh, do not. We want to continue to support the Ukrainians. I do believe the Biden administration can do more than what they're doing, because for the Ukrainians to be successful, to really take back all the territory, they're going to need uh, American fighter jets, uh, and train the Ukrainians here in the United States. They're going to need more tanks and more artillery and more drones and, and long systems to do it. And long-range artillery it would seem to me, from a military point of view, necessary, but politically they're afraid to give it to the Ukrainians. They, well, what they have is they, we've given them good tactical artillery. We've given them good HIMARS, which goes 50 miles, and we've given them the guided missiles associated with uh with HIMARS, which is really referred to as GMARS, and that's a 200-pound, uh, don't think of it as a rocket, it's a 200-pound missile which has a guidance system on it. That's why it's been so effective. What we also have, the longest-range missile in the United States Army's inventory is referred to as ATACMS. That goes 200 miles, and we should give it to them. The Biden administration is holding that back, and the, and the reality is, again, fear of provoking Russia. And I, and I think that's... Is Russia, is Russia uh, uh, going to uh, keep uh, the gas out of uh, Germany and France and uh, not allow, the, you know, with a cold winter coming? I think they're going to do everything in their power to shut down the energy supplies into Europe. He's... Listen, Putin has made up his mind. He knows he can't win this thing in weeks and months. He knows that there's going to be a favorable outcome for him. We're at the end of it. He has more territory than what he had on February 24th when the war began. And that's the only thing that he could declare a victory about. He knows that's going to take some time to do that. So he wants he wants the Europeans to suffer. He knows that some of the Europeans are weak kneed about all of this. That they're really not in it. That you know that the United States, the Brits, others have kind of coerced them to get into it. And if their people start to suffer, if there's a recession on the horizon, uh inflation is already there, as we know, they they may buckle and and Putin is counting on that. So that yeah, he's he fully intends to shut that energy supply down. But some of the European countries I've been reading about, they they have some storage stockpile, uh, and they may be able to get through this thing. Otherwise, if, if they don't, there'll be protests in the streets and pressure on the government to, to back away. General and, and King, that, we have to take a break, and I thank you for coming on, and thank you for keeping all the American people informed, and thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. 
Yeah, John, always good talking to you and your team there and, and your audience. Thank you. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line with us is the commissioner of the New York City Department of Corrections, Commissioner Luis Molina. Commissioner Molina, you inherited quite a mess due to the previous administration. We're hearing about corrections officers quitting in mass and just things do not seem to be improving specifically on Rikers Island. What can you do? I know this is it almost seems like an insurmountable task at this point. No, good good afternoon, and thank you for having me on the show. And while we did inherit what I would call um, a department on the brink of collapse in January 1st of this year, I will say over the last nine months we have um, made some strides. We've lowered violence significantly at our young adult facility, RNDC, compared to where it was of March of this year. Uh, we have over 1,500 officers that have come back to work. Uh, we're focused on supporting our staff, both our uniform and non-uniform staff. And we've restarted a lot of programs for the persons that are in custody um, and making a lot of headway with our faith-based leaders that are helping us just stabilize the department as well as provide program services to the population. Richard, Judge, Judge Richard Weinberg, I understand there's a bill in the city council next week that's going to uh, go after what they call uh, solitary confinement and try to ban it or overregulate it. What do you say about that? Well, what I'll tell you is, is that just I'll unequivocally say that we do not have solitary confinement at the Department of Corrections. That is something that I am against. That's something that the mayor is against, and it's something that is not practiced there. But what that bill does is really hamper our ability to run restrictive housing for those persons in custody that commit major violent acts, not only against other detainees that are in custody, but against staff. Well, it's, anybody knows anything about uh, law enforcement, what the tough job corrections officers have, you have to take some of these people out of general population to protect the other folks that are there. Absolutely. So what are you going to do if this bill passes? How, do you, how are you going to handle that? So we have a hearing on September 28th that's coming up with the members of the, uh, the committee that's put, putting the, the bill forward. Um, I'll be there to answer their questions and concern, um, remind them that we do not practice solitary confinement, and really talk about our current restrictive housing practices, which are in alignment with making sure that we have a humane system. Um, but we have to remember we have the highest concentration of very violent people in one place, and that one place is on Rikers Island. We have over 1,500 people that are being charged with murder, manslaughter, or attempted murder, over 1,000 people that have been charged with robbery, and over 500 people that have been charged with sex crimes. So we have a very uh, population that is very challenging and has shown a proclivity for violence. And yet you have these proposals to shut down Rikers and put the jails in local communities. How ridiculous is that? Well, the borough-based jail plan is local law, and, and that's moving forward, um, you know, rehabbing uh, facilities that we already had in Queens, Brooklyn, and Manhattan, um, as well as opening a new facility in the Bronx. You know, our facilities on Rikers Island are, are, have been neglected for many, many years, just like our staff was neglected for many years under the previous administration. So we do need new facilities, um, and we are working hard every day to make sure that that stays on track. Well, 
Where do we go from here, Commissioner? I mean, this is John Katzmatidis. We want safe streets, and I've told that to Mayor Adams, and Mayor Adams wants safe streets too. And uh, uh, the commissioner of uh, uh, NYPD, um, uh, Commissioner Sewell, has said that there's 3,000 violent criminals out there that repeat violent criminals that we haven't put them away. How, how do we handle that and the state laws at the same time? Any, any good ideas? Yeah, you know, we need a robust functioning criminal justice system in this country. So this is not a local issue just to the state of New York or the city of New York. Um, and what we had for a number of years under the prior administration is really, quite frankly, a dismantelization of that system. Did the prior system need evolving? Did some parts of it need reform? Absolutely. But you have individuals that feel that a criminal justice system should just be dismantled. And that's a threat to public safety. And that's something that the mayor feels strongly about, that I feel strongly about, and Commissioner Sewell feels strongly about. Well, thank you, Commissioner, for coming on. We're uh, going on to a hard break right now, and we hope to, whenever you think that uh, there's news to report to all New York City people, New Yorkers, and please text us, come on on, and, and keep New Yorkers informed. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. God bless. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And on the line with us right now is John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter. If there's breaking news to be told, John Solomon has it of justthenews.com. That's justthenews.com. John Solomon, what do you have for us? Yeah, there's a lot of breaking news today. I'll take you back a decade because, uh, believe it or not, that scandal still lives on. The Fast and Furious scandal, the revelation that the Obama administration allowed guns to go across the border to Mexican drug cartels. Um, in the course of that, a Border Patrol agent by the name of Brian Terry was killed today, the seventh and last defendant among the seven people who conspired to kill Border Patrol. Brian Terry was get, uh, sentenced to 50 years in prison uh, for that murder that became symbolic of the uh, not only the Fast and Furious scandal, but of the earlier border crisis we had under President Obama. That sentence incurred just a little while ago, a lot of attention getting to that right now. Uh, earlier in the uh, day, we had a really important story, taking a look at some of the big-name marquee Democratic candidates, uh, people like John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. The Democrats hope are going to flip red seats to blue in the November election. They're having a little bit of difficulty right now because they're running from all of their pri- previous statements of liberal ideology, things like defunding the police and uh, decriminalizing heroin, uh, uh, all several uh, high-profile examples, really just the last couple of weeks, where Democrats like Mandela Barnes and John Fetterman have literally disowned large parts of the rhetoric, their ideology, their statements, their media interviews from just a very, some were just a few months old, some were a couple of years old. That dynamic, I haven't seen this extensive a walk back in rhetoric in a very long time. Uh, that story is getting a lot of attention today as uh, as people begin to absorb and get closer to making those election decisions uh, on the forefront. And then just a little bit ago, uh, the uh, Republicans here at Just the News were able to obtain the Republicans' new contract with America. They're calling it the Commitment with America. Uh, it's actually going to be officially unveiled tomorrow in uh, Pennsylvania, out by Pittsburgh, by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. We got a, a blueprint of the plan today. Some interesting stuff in it. They're going to hire 200,000 or provide federal funding to hire 200,000 
more police officers, clearly putting the Democrats on defensive on their defunding of um, the funding police movement that occurred after the uh, George Floyd murder, uh, a significant proposal on a Republican approach to health care, something that Republicans have been promising for, year, for years. This time, a very detailed approach to how uh, people can get cheaper drugs, more competition, more choices in health care, and better prices through that competition. That's something we haven't seen from Republicans in a long time. So those are some of the headlines uh, trending right now. Now, I, I understand... Uh... Uh, I had seen Dr. Oz the other day, and in in Pennsylvania, uh, uh, the gentleman that's running against Dr. Oz for the U.S. Senate uh, wants to uh, uh, liberalize uh, uh, reform on uh, uh, crime in 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 Pennsylvania, where he wants to make the re- the re- the whole state of Pennsylvania almost into what Philadelphia is like, and you can't live in Philadelphia. Well, it depends which version of that John Fetterman you're talking about, because you're exactly right. It was just a few short years ago when John Fetterman, uh, in fact, it was 2021, just a year ago, where John Fetterman said he would like to release uh, the 1,100 people serving life in prison in Pennsylvania for second-degree murder. That's a pretty heinous crime. Um, intentional effort to kill someone that wasn't pre-plotted is typically what second-degree murder is under the court law. He doubled down on that for a long time, but now all of a sudden, in the last few days, as uh, as Oz has begun to use this in campaign ads and on the campaign trail to pound him, he's like, it's being taken out of contest. I, I have to tell you, I read the words. He literally said, I want to uh, uh, create a pathway for people who are convicted for life and uh, second-degree murder to get out of prison. And there's no way to misconstrue what he said, uh, but that's a really good example of this walking back of rhetoric, of this reversing of a lot of these liberal what, what these new stars of the Democratic Party did is they appealed to the base for a long time. They went as far left as they could to get their celebrity. And now when they're running in the middle of a general election where a lot of moderates are, they're trying to disown the very language, ideologies, ideas, policies that got them the nomination. A very interesting dynamic, John. John Solomon, speaking of very Democratic, very left-leaning congressmen and women, Rashida Tlaib, she's going after the fossil fuel industry. She also said you're not a true progressive unless you're against Israel, calling it an apartheid state. I'm just shocked that at this point she hasn't been censured or anything's come of all of her anti-Semitic remarks, and she continues to try and destroy our economy. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it that um, uh, Rashida Tlaib is a stir of the pot. She's not afraid to say what she believes. A lot of times her beliefs are offensive to a lot of Americans, including many Democrats. Uh, but the ability of the Democratic Party to silence its far-left activists is, has been uh, uh, almost non-existent. They just haven't been able to create the sort of expressions and discipline that if it were Republicans saying similar things in a different direction, uh, there would be center movements going on and maybe efforts to expel people from Congress. Uh, I want to double down on one interesting thing on, on her uh, uh, pressure for a true climate change, her version of it, uh, to get rid of fossil fuels, right? She's a, she that wing of the party that wants to get rid of fossil fuels. Joe Biden is a guy that now says he's leading that transition but tomorrow morning in Just the News, we're going to make available some significant documents that we got from inside the Biden family companies. This is not from a laptop. This is from former business partners working with Hunter Biden and James Biden on a venture where Joe Biden is mentioned as the big guy, the 10% owner. 
you're going to see a detailed plan by Hunter Biden and uh, Joe Biden to make billions of dollars, billions, not millions, billions of dollars by trying to secure U.S. oil and energy and natural gas uh, uh, assets here in America and get them to China. They were going to take fossil fuels and cash in on the very fossil fuels that Rashida Tlaib say are dirty and terrible and bad and that Joe Biden claims he's trying to lead the transition from just a few short years ago. We're talking 2017, 2018, 2019. Well, let me remind you, John Solomon, that some of the reserve that we released, the American reserves, did go to China. That's exactly right. A Chinese company bought $5 million in the bidding from those reserves exposing a, a little-known loophole that foreigners can actually buy oil when it comes out of the reserves. You're exactly right. Well, Hunter Biden had a lot more than $5 million on his mind. There are a couple of deals that were in the 2 to $4 billion each, and they're scheming and trying to find – just think about this. They're not only trying to make a lot of money off an of energy that now Democrats say is so terrible for America. They're trying to get those assets to one of America's great adversaries, China. We're going to put all these documents out tomorrow. They're all on the record. They're all clear. They're all authenticated. But um, I, I wonder what Rashida Tlaib will think tomorrow of her current president when she sees the presidential families dueling and dealing on um, on uh, fossil fuels. Well, thank you, John Solomon, for uh, bringing the truth out and uh, keep keep working hard because the American people deserve to know the truth. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of the day. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now we have on the line for us a Paul Lunsis. He began his investment career working for Royce and Associates. And uh, what, would, what, would he, what is he? He's an investment manager, right? He's an investment manager. Tell us. And, and he uh, worked for uh, Warren Buffett for a while or worked with him. Yeah, I worked for Bill Ruane, who was a good friend of Mr. Buffett's, and I had the privilege through Bill of doing a few projects for Mr. Buffett. It was just a wonderful decade, and I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, John and, and Lydia, first, thanks for having me, but it's just interesting looking at some of the comparisons here with the Fed, Fed you know, increasing rates 75 basis points, the third one in a row from June, July, and now September. The 10-year Treasury today uh, was up 19 basis points at 370, the highest since like 2011. The two-year treasuries 411, up nine basis points, the highest since 07. Mortgage rates are above six percent, the highest level in 14 years. The 30 years at 629 versus 602 last week, and it's just um, they're projecting now that the target Fed funds rate that's now three three and a quarter. They're going to do another one and a quarter, one and a half by year end in November. They meet November 1st and 2nd and December 13th and 14th. And they target Fed funds rate could be four, four and a quarter, four and a half. Um, and so, you know, the economy is really, really going to suffer under that. They're going to kill getting- the real estate industry. You know, the rest of the economy, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll go on. But the real estate industry, uh, how do they say it in Brooklyn? In Brooklyn, they say they'll take the pipe. Yep, and 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 not only real estate, John. It's going to reverberate through the economy. Um, a lot of private debt deals that are out there. 
um, you know, people are going to have a lot of trouble um, if they need to refinance or, or continue to making the payments, especially if they're on variable rate, um, you know, variable rate interest rates, and they're going up, um, and they've gone up quite a bit. I mean, 375 basis point increases in an economy that has had two negative quarters, it's really reverberating through the economy, touching, you know, individuals, uh, companies, et cetera. It's very, very challenging environment. Paul Lewin says, I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit. We're seeing crime taking over a lot of Democrat cities. Uh, McDonald's CEO, he is w- saying that crime is hurting his business. And Chicago Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot told him, said that he needs to educate himself. I mean, how, how much of a hit is the economy taking due to the rising crime rates? Well, I think I think that's being reflected in people leaving some of the large urban areas, um, especially, you know, New York, Chicago. Um, you saw several companies have left uh, Chicago and several have left New York and it's continuing to happen. And it's really sad because they're they're great, great cities. Um, and I don't know, you know, unless some of the leadership um, and some of the rules, laws change, I think that departure is going to continue. Paul, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you, what's the economic and financial significance for the city and the state of New York when you have 42,000 people in this last calendar year going from New York to Florida and hundreds of thousands since the COVID started? What's the impact on the ability of uh, the city and the state to, to survive and to pay for all the programs and all the services? Well, I think part of the issue, uh, Judge Weinberg, part of it really comes down to a lot of the people are, that are leaving are people that have the, the economic capability to do so. And those are the people that you least want to leave. So, you know, it's really, really going to hurt the city if more and more people, Carl Icahn, um, Leon Cooperman, he was in New Jersey, you know, a lot of these really successful people, uh, men and women are leaving, and, and that's really going to really hurt the city because a small percentage, I think it's like a couple percent, account for an enormous amount of the taxes that are paid within New York City, the hundred billion or, or so, what it, whatever it is. I think it's in that ballpark. So I think it's going to be very, very negative, and I don't see that stopping unless some of the things start changing. Some some parts of uh, the Congress is trying to shut down our our oil industry in North America and shut down. Tell, tell the American people what uh, Jamie Dimon said from J.P. Morgan yesterday at the hearing and, and, and anybody else that you can think of. Well, today, it was over three hours today. Some of the heads, the CEOs of the, some of the major banks, Moynihan at Bank of America and Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, Andy Sassir at U.S. Bank, and on and on, they were testifying. And what was really interesting, um, you know, everyone's trying to do their thing, but a lot of what's going on is being politicized. And one of the questions was regarding fossil fuels. Um, and they're telling people, Jamie's comment specifically, I think that you're referring to, John, was Jamie basically think thinks it's going to create hell in America by attacking the fossil fuel industry. And they were asking questions today regarding why are you lending to fossil fuel? Why are you lending to gun makers? You know, a lot of it, whether you agree or disagree, um, it has nothing to do with banking um, and them trying to, you know, facilitate and grow their banking businesses. So I think it's really, really quite scary that government is targeting particular industries and telling banks or trying to encourage banks 
on who to lend to, et cetera. And that's, that, that really makes it very, very difficult, um, you know, for banks. And it's, it's inappropriate. I think, I think the fossil fuel industry, as we've discussed in the past, needs to be a part of our ultimate solution to supply energy to our country and around the globe. You, there's, the renewables can't do it yet. And they may not be able to for a long, long time. Well, especially California. California says, well, uh, we want you to go all electric, uh, but b- tomorrow make sure you, you, you don't charge your car because we're out of electricity. And I'm plug your toaster. They're full of crap. Too much hair gel. It really comes down to balance. You know, you can't jump into things. There's derivative effects of decisions that you make. Jamie was talking about the regulatory requirements. Um, they're too punitive, and the banks aren't going to be able to make as much money available for lending that they would like. So, you know, there's a lot of derivative effects once they make these rules. And I think, you know, energy is a great one, and that is we need a balanced approach. And trying to kill the fossil fuel industry right now is just a huge mistake. Well, they're, kill- they're going to try to kill America. That's why that congresswoman, what was her congresswoman's name? Rashid. Rashid Tlaib. I mean, whose side is she on? Um, you yeah. sure she's American? That's questionable. That's a good question, Well, John. thank you, Paul Luntzis, and uh, we'll talk more later on in the week. And uh, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So now on the line Reverend, for us is uh, Reverend Cockfield. Reverend, you there? I'm here. I'm here. Reverend, we had Good evening, rather. We had uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly on uh, the other day, and he says the black uh, reverends are not doing enough to to tell their people or advise their people that we need more law and order in our communities. What say you to Bill O'Reilly? Bill O'Reilly, that is not a true statement. <laughs> a lot of the pastors, African-American pastors in New York City, in the five boroughs, out in Nassau County, upstate, we are big on public safety. We are very engaged in reducing gun violence. I'm a part of the 67 Clergy Council in Central Brooklyn, a.k.a. the God Squad, and our sole purpose is interdenomination. You can, imagine you could bring different denominations together for one common goal, and that's to reduce gun violence. So, Bill O'Reilly, I understand that we are speaking up. We're at our pulpits, and we're not only in our pulpits, we're in the streets, and we're helping to reduce the gun violence. Robert- yeah. Maybe, uh, you, you know, you should uh, uh, invite Bill O'Reilly to your congregation. You have 7,000, I think, and A.R. Bernard has like 30,000. And t- tell us, uh, what, 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 what do you think? I think I think A.R. Bernard has 30,000. I have about seven, about a little under 1,000. But we, we are focused in Central Brooklyn. The amount of pastors that's involved with the 67 clergy, God, a.k.a. God Squad, is well over 20,000 members with all of our churches. And all of our pastors are in the street. We walk the streets on the weekends and the nighttime. When there's a gun violence happening, we support the families. We're big. We want to get rid of these guns, and we work side and side with not just this administration, Mayor Adams, but even Mayor de Blasio involved before. We're big on public safety. We have to get the guns off these streets. We got to get our young people in programming. Those who want to get, but in defense uh, of Bill O'Reilly, I think what he was referring to is not that your community is not for law and order, but then why do why do so many uh, people in your community continue to vote for regressives or whatever what politicians need, what that don't support law and order? Let's use WABC to bring all the church groups together citywide, and, and citywide. citywide. 
and I'll invite him here into the studio. Let's have a a, a studio session about uh, with all the black pastors and say, let's keep New York safe. Will you help us Listen, organize I, that, I, Reverend? You, I, I hope I'll help you roll that out. I'll lead the pack. I'll be uh, your mascot for it. I will be <laughs> all on board. We have to have the conversation. We have to push the envelope, and we have to get our streets back. Too many, too many black, too many black and brown kids have died from 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 Violence. these guns, and it's not from guns. Guns don't pull the trigger themselves. Is from bad people, people pulling those triggers. And these people who should not be outside in these streets, they should be in jail right where they belong. They shouldn't be able to walk these streets and be able to kill more people and hurt more people. And cause, and it's just, listen, it's not just the people that get killed. It's their families that are, are, are hurting. It's their, it's their children that they leave behind with no fatherless children. It's, it's a ton of people being affected by not having stronger laws when it comes to, if you want to commit a crime and you want to hurt people, you belong in jail. You do not belong in the street. We agree. We agree. Reverend Al Cockfield, we're out of time, but I look forward to, to getting everybody together and, and, and citywide, and we're going to do this all together. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.